to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You look good. You got all your jerseys on there. Yeah, we'll see what happens today. Go Raiders and go Rams. Uh, no, no, they say no, yeah. <laughs> okay. This guy looks pretty upset here in the front row. I'm going to keep him calm. Uh, <laughs> yes. We got to pray for the Dodgers, though, seriously today. They need some help. So I want to talk to you today, and the clock is my enemy. It's my enemy. I don't like to go long. We like to keep our message around 35, 38 minutes, but I might be a little bit longer today because I'm going to a Bible study format. We are seriously giving it some thought of doing something really unique on Sundays where one service or two, we go straight through the Bible. The other services are a regular service. And so we're playing with some ideas, so pray for us. But right now, what I'm going to do is I plan to start a new series today, and it had to do with the gifts of the Spirit. But I can't get away from a Wednesday night I did three weeks ago. I preached this in Vegas, and outside of about a thousand people, a lot of people didn't hear it. So I'm going to go back and work with that again, because I think there's something we need to hear today. So let's pray this right here. Father God, bless and anoint this teaching. Help me through it. I depend on your grace in Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen. Now, if, you're here with three, if you were here three weeks ago on Wednesday night, just bear with me. Allow me to develop this thing a little more than I said then. Uh, Watchman Nee years ago wrote a book breaking down Ephesians into three parts. Chapters 1 through 3 is sit, chapters 4 through 5 is walk, and chapter 6 is stand. Now, once a Christian believer begins to learn about their position in Christ, they're going to become extremely valuable in the kingdom of God. Chapters 1 through 3 tell you all kinds of things that are true for a person as soon as they start believing. For example, on Wednesday night, I did handle this verse, but let's look at it again, and we'll review it. In chapter 1 and verse 3 in Ephesians, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has past tense blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, that means that after you get saved, you have all these blessings coming down from heaven, spiritual blessings. You'll get blessed with extra doses of faith. You'll get blessed with wisdom, with comfort, with perspective, with power, and they all come from heaven. Let's start with wisdom for a second. As a Christian, you are always in a place where God wants to give you wisdom. You're supposed to bring every decision before God, wait on Him. Let him give you wisdom. Look at James 1, verse 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, a lot of people don't ask of God, so they don't receive. A lot of people never bring major decisions before God. But it says if you ask for wisdom, 
He gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will definitely be given to him. But he must ask in faith. What does that mean? When you go to ask for the wisdom, you must believe you're going to receive it. Very often, yes, I ask for wisdom, but then I sit and watch, and I expect to receive it. It says, but you must ask in faith, and, and you can't have any doubting. You got to go to God in a very dogmatic way going, I'm coming, I'm believing, and I'm going to receive. It says, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for that man ought to never expect it or receive anything from the Lord. Now, on that Wednesday night, I used the illustration of you being on a mountain road with a lot of curves, and you're behind a very slow driver going 20 miles an hour. You want to pass him, but you can't see because of the curves. Well, God's like up in a helicopter. He can see all the way down the road. And when he says pass, you can trust him. Now, that's hard to do. But if he says pass, you've got to trust him and say, I can't see, but I'm going to pass. And that's one of the thoughts behind that verse that we repeat so often here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your understanding. God has a perspective that you do not have. I also used the illustration on Wednesday night of a time when we were trying to get a new building because we had outgrown our old building. And we asked God for wisdom on how to get a new building. And he gave us a very odd piece of advice. He says, to get the new building, I want you to give away all the money you saved. Now, that made absolutely no sense. But we asked him for wisdom. He had a perspective obviously we didn't have. We gave away all $10,000 that we had saved, and we got the building. God is very pleased when we ask for wisdom, and then we act upon whatever He gives us. We used to sing a song years ago. It said, your ways are higher than mine, higher, higher, much, much higher. Your ways are different than ours. And so, we don't think the way God thinks. Back in the Old Testament, Joshua was about to fight the battle of Jericho, he asked God for wisdom, and God gives him this ridiculous, in our mind, thing to do. He said, I want you to go out and march around the city, yell sometimes, and the walls will come down. And they took that wisdom, and they won the war. Jehoshaphat went to God for wisdom when he was in a battle, and God said, I want you to put the choir on the front lines. And they went out and did it, and they won. Gideon, when he was battling his enemy, said, God, what do we do? And God says, first of all, I want you to slim the troops down to a place to where you couldn't win if you wanted to. And after you do that, I'll give you some pitchers and some, some uh, torches, and we're going to win the battle with those. See, so often I think God asks us to do certain things that make no sense at all, and all he's doing is testing our faith. That's all he's doing. He already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. I mean, you know, even like water baptism. Somebody's, well, I don't see the sense in water baptism. Maybe God's just asking you to do it to see if you'll do it. Maybe there isn't any deeper meetings in water baptism other than he's saying, hey, I've asked you to do it. I'm going to see if you'll do it. Uh, dedicate your kids. That's an act of faith. So God very often is just testing our faith. And he said, I'm going to give you wisdom. Don't try to outthink me. Don't try to outsmart me. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Going back again to that, that, that bank money that they were given out during COVID. Again, I don't know why. We asked God for wisdom, and, and he said, don't take the money. And I don't know why. But I think he knows more than we know. 
because that very day, as I was telling Debbie, and she was telling me that we both thought that we're not supposed to take that money, that's the day God led me to my book, Firestarters. He said, look at today's devotional. And I opened it up, and it says that the, the borrower is the slave to the lender. Now, that, that has some real weird thoughts going through my mind. And so I don't know why, but God gives wisdom. And then when we ask for it, we must receive it and must obey it, whether it makes sense or not. Whether it makes sense or not. Uh, he has that divine perspective from heaven. Now, we also receive divine perspectives. They just come straight out of heaven. Let me give you an example. Uh, last week, my wife had done something that I wasn't real happy about. And you know how that vibes get in the air when you're not yelling at one another, but you know that there's not, you know, a real good spirit in the room. Does anybody know that beside me? Yeah, you know that. And so anyway, I was not happy with her for doing what she did. And so I left the next morning to go to the gym. And as soon as I got in the car, she told me, I start, she started praying. She said, I started praying, Ron. And I said, God, deal with him. Deal with him. Defend me and deal with him. He's judging me harshly. And so I got in the car, and I'm not kidding. Divine perspective came out of heaven like crazy. All of a sudden, I remembered a parable. And it came out of nowhere. I mean, I wasn't even trying to think. I was trying to stay mad. Have you ever tried to stay mad? I was trying to. And this parable came out of nowhere about a man who, who owed the king several million dollars and went to him and begged him to be patient with him. He's, please be patient with me. I'll pay it back. Please, I'm begging you. And the king, in his gracious nature, forgave the man the debt for millions of dollars. But as soon as that man left the king's presence, he went out and found another man who owed him just a several thousand dollars. And he said, you're going to pay me back every penny, and I'm going to hold it over your head until you do. That came out of nowhere, and God said, you're the man. He said, how dare you? How dare you, Ron Vietti? How dare you hold something small over your wife's head when I have forgiven you for so much? It's unbelievable. He said, how dare you? And I knew right away. I mean, my wife's done nothing compared to what I've done in our marriage and our life. And when I came home, I said, man, God's just spoken to me. She said, I'll bet he has because I've been praying like crazy. <laughs> and I said, babe, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I started crying. I said, how dare me to hold anything over your head when I've done so much? And then right away I asked her, I said, can you pray for me? Just pray for me. So you get this divine wisdom that comes out of heaven. You get this divine perspective that comes out of heaven. And these things are all to bless you. What does the word blessing mean? It means to make more out of something than what it would be otherwise. All these things are going to make more out of your life than it would be otherwise if it wasn't for the blessings. Uh, when you ask the Lord to bless your children, you're asking Him to make more out of their lives than what it would be otherwise. When you ask Him to bless your marriage, you're asking Him to make more out of it than what it would be otherwise. So it says we've received all these blessings from heaven, divine words, divine direction, divine comfort, divine peace. Ephesians 1 and 3 then goes on to tell us about many other blessings we have as a child of God. If you read in chapter 1, it says you've been adopted as a child of the King of Kings. You are His boy. You are His daughter. Max Lucado tells a story 
about Jimmy Wayne and his book. I forgot the title of the book, Glory Something. But Jimmy Wayne never knew his dad. And Jimmy Wayne's mom spent more time in prison than she did out of prison. When he was 12 years old, his mother hooked up with a very, very bad guy. And this guy was just evil. And one thing led to another, and they, 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 they lived one whole year out of their car. On one day, Jimmy will never know why, his mother and this bad guy took him and dropped him off in a parking lot at a bus station in Pensacola, Florida. Twelve years old, had no money, had no provision of any kind. He started walking down the neighborhoods. He saw a man out working in his garage named Russell. And he asked him, he says, do, do you have any kind of work I could do? He says, well, he's kind of sizing the boy up. He says, do you know how to mow lawns? He says, I'll give you $20 every time you mow my lawn. And so the boy took the job. Well, it was some time after that that the man introduced the boy to his wife, Bo, and they began to, to, to just love on the boy, love on him. He wouldn't really tell him a lot about his past, but finally they, they got it out of him that he was homeless. And so they took him into the home. They gave him his own bedroom, his own bathroom. Every night he would eat at the supper table with them. He uh, got to go into the den and watch TV with them every night. They just treated him like the part of the family. They kind of adopted him. And he was like he was in heaven. But they said one thing he didn't do for several weeks, he never unpacked his bag. He left it packed because he just knew this was too good to be true. And at any time, they'd kick him out, and he couldn't rest in their provision. And I say to you today, have you unpacked your bags with God? Are you at a place where you fully trust God with your marriage, with your relationship, with your job, with your career, with your health? It's time to unpack your bags because we are now God's kids. We belong to Him, and He'll take good care of us. He'll take good care of us. Now, when you read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, you'll discover many promises. It even goes on to say this. I like this passage in chapter 1, verse 22, 23. It says, and He put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus, and gave Jesus His head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, when I read that verse and put other verses with it, everything's subject unto Jesus. Whatever He wants, it's under His authority. And we're the body of Christ, so we're one with Him. He's the head, we're the body of Christ on the earth. And so, whenever I need something to do the Lord's will, I have to remind myself that if this is God's will for me to do this, all things are subject unto Him. All things are. And you remember the old stories, like the Vegas building one day. We needed a building, and I saw a building in Vegas after some time of praying, and I said, this is the perfect building for this church. We went and laid hands on it and said, you're subject unto Jesus. All things are. And if it's God's will, we want this building. And of course, we got the building. Uh, some time back when our bank was under different management, we didn't get along with the bank managers. And we needed uh, a million or two million dollars to uh, refinance our loan, and we couldn't come up with the money. Well, they came out one day, some of the bankers, and walked through the building and talked about taking it back away from us. 
And they even went as far as to say, we'll put offices over here, we'll do this over here, really intimidating us. And when the staff told me about that, I started thinking about our authority in Christ. And I said, you go tell those bankers, this is a building that God gave us, and no one can take it away from us, no, for any reason. God gave it to us, and you can't have it. You can't have it. And so, when you really start digesting all of these promises in Ephesians, as well as other parts of the, in the Bible, you really, really start getting a confidence. Uh, you start really, really believing what it says about you. See, in the Bible, I used to always have a problem when I would read verses that would say that we're supposed to be meek. Keep meekness, you know, in your life. And I'd look at the definition of meek, and it meant power under control. The word picture was taking a wild stallion and bringing him under control. And so I thought, why would we need to have our power under control? It just didn't make sense to me until I, until I started growing in these promises of God. And then I began to understand the verse really well. When I read Luke 9, I understand the spirit of James and John there, where they were traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they were passing through a Samaritan village on the way, and they wanted to stop there and rest. And Jesus says, go in ahead of me. Send some guys and go ahead of me and prepare a place for us to rest tonight. Well, when they got there, the people in that Samaritan village wanted nothing to do with them because they knew there were Jews going to Jerusalem, and they, they wouldn't help them out. Now, James and John came back, and they were really ticked, and they said to the Lord, want us to call fire out of heaven and devour them? Now, see, I, I can understand that spirit. I really can't. In fact, you might need to ask yourself the question, why did they even think they could do that? Very intriguing. I mean, they must have really thought they could do that. And they said, we'll call fire out of heaven and devour them. So what I'm saying to you is, when you fully digest those promises in Ephesians and other places, you'll have to learn to be meek, to keep your power under control. Uh, years ago, many years ago, over our other building on Monterey and King, we had this guy that decided he wanted to intimidate us. And he was very angry with us simply because... At one time, I'd counsel his wife. She came in from marriage counseling. He wasn't a believer. And uh, uh, he thought that I told her to divorce him, which I didn't. I never would do that. One day, I walked in my office, and my secretary said, we got a problem. I said, what's that? She went out on the front doorstep of my office, picked up a picture with his— it was a wedding picture of him and his wife, and it was all cracked. And he wrote a note that says, you ruined my marriage, and I'm watching every step you take. And I thought, oh boy, this is great. So now, when I'm preaching, probably this went on for about six weeks, while I'm preaching, this guy will walk into the back. And one time, I saw him actually hit an usher. He hit him with his fist, pushed him down. He'd walk in and sit down someplace where he could comfortably see me, and he would intimidate me while I preached, just stare at me, stare at me. And then he got my phone number some way, and he started calling my wife and, and intimidating her and asking her uh, if I was another Jimmy Jones and when I was going to give the congregation Kool-Aid to drink. And he was always threatening me, threatening me, threatening me. In fact, one night he called and said, I'm going to kill you, sucker, after church tonight. And so I called the police, and sure enough, he was cruising. He was cruising the whole church all night long. Well, every time he'd walk in, I'd get nervous, and I'd go, man, you know, Oh, what's he going to do? And, and this went on week after week. I was losing my place. I was losing my train of thought. And then finally one day I thought, wait a minute, I have, I have authority in Jesus Christ. 
This, this is not good. This man's hurting the work of God. That's what he's doing. And so one day they said, hey, he's here. And so I took off out of the church. I ran. I went up and bumped chest with him. I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. As you come on these grounds again, and I'll pray you dead, sucker. I'll pray you six feet under. You got it. And he took off running. And I heard him yelling, you're crazy. You need counseling. You're crazy. Never saw the guy again ever, ever. Uh, but I know my authority in Christ. And I know my position in Christ. I know that I'm his son. He loves me very much. I know you're his daughter. And all things are subject unto him. Now, I could go on and on and keep you here a long time just going through Ephesians 3 and telling you all the mighty blessings God has given us who love him. But in chapter 4, it changes. Chapter 4, verse 1, here's the second division of the book. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is now that you know your position in Christ, Ron. Stay meek. Stay humble. Keep your power. You can't go around. Ron, you can't go around praying people dead, all right? You got to stop that nonsense. Although I did pray a dog dead one time. I'll tell you about that. So my wife doesn't like me to tell it, so I won't tell it. But, but he says, start walking in a manner worthy. Now, I've talked to you a lot about that. I don't need to repeat it. But what do you do? Now that you got all this power, you can't go, wait to go out and tell other people about it. You can't wait to go out and tell other people. Do you know, if you give your life to God, you have authority over spirits. You have, you have the power of prayer in your life. Did you know you can pray your marriage as well? You can pray your kids well? You never don't have hope. God will talk to you. He'll, he'll bless you with spiritual blessings from above. Once you get that, you'll go out and you'll start inviting people to church, sharing your story with them at Starbucks, praying with faith daily over certain needs. So now you've been sitting, now you're starting to walk it out. Okay, walk it out. Then you come to chapter 6, the last division, and it says, now you're going to need to stand. It says, now that you got it down, you know who you are in Christ. You're going out and you're winning people to the Lord, and you're telling your story. The devil's going to come after you. Demons are going to come after you. They're going to want to stop you because you're threatening their kingdom. Now, you got to know, the devil's on his way to hell, and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. He wants you to go with him. He doesn't want you to go with God. Now, I know this is hard to wrap our fingers around, that we live in a spiritual world. I know that, but it's true nevertheless. There's a lot more to this world than protons, neutrons, and electrons, a whole lot more. And so there is a spiritual world, and the Bible tells us about it. Now, let's jump into our section here, and I'm watching the clock. Look at chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In other words, keep yourself in a place where the strength of God is at. That's your responsibility. Abide in the Lord. See, if you stay strong in the Lord, there isn't anything the devil can do to you. Not a thing. In fact, I've said it before, if you stay strong in the Lord, the demons that come to harass you are no more than some silly barn fly trying to land on you in a springtime barbecue. I mean, they, they won't have any power, but you've got to stay strong in the Lord, and, uh, and the devil can't get to you. He'll try, 
And you're going to have to pray against those things. I'll say more. Uh, for example, you're coming to VBF right now. Do you know the devil doesn't want you coming to this church? Do you know that? He doesn't want you here. Why? I think, I'm not saying other churches are bad in the community at all, but I know here we preach the Word of God. We don't adulterate anything. We're not in any, any kind of contest to be popular. Nothing. We're just sharing the Word. So he doesn't want you here. Right now we're playing with the idea again of doing a Bible study at one service, a sheer Bible study. Devil doesn't want you to know the Bible. So what, what will he try? See, the devil tries to make you think that his thoughts are yours. You'll come to church for a while and you go, you know what, I'm not going to that church anymore. Why? You know what, that Pastor Ron, he just preaches forever. I think sometimes he's going to preach us to death, man. He goes 45, 50 minutes sometimes. Or you know what, they didn't visit me when I was in the hospital. They're not even friendly at that church. See, it says in, 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 in chapter 10... Uh, it says to keep ourselves in a place strength in the Lord. Let's also read chapter, uh, verse 11. Did we read 11? Did we read 11 yet? Okay, put on the full arm of God's stand. Okay, let's, let's hold that for a second. Uh, in chapter, in verse 10, it says, because we're not ignorant of his schemes. Now, the word schemes in the Greek is where we get the word methodology or methods. The devil has a method all planned out to try to destroy you. Now, I like the King James Version for one reason, is that in the Old Testament, very often it would call angels watchers. Now, I like that idea. If angels are watchers, so are the fallen angels who we call demons. They're watchers too. And so I think the devil, he devises a plan to destroy you, and a lot of it comes from him watching you or the demons watching you. They're not omniscient. They watch you. So they can formulate a plan to try to tempt you and destroy you. For example, if you're a single guy or a married guy, and every time a girl walks by, you go, ooh, la, la, mom, you look her up and down. Those demons see that. They see that. And they go, aha, here's a way we can destroy this guy. If you're a, a perfectionist or you're into materialism, they watch you. They study you. And the Bible says they have schemes or they have a method figured out on how they want to destroy you. Now with that in mind, let's look at verse 11. I left it out of my notes somewhere, but 11. Put on the full armor of God, the full armor of God. Now it insinuates here that if you don't put all of it on, you put none of it on hardly. You've got to have it all. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes or the methodology of the devil. There's his method right there. There's his schemes. Now, let's go to verse 12. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood. Now, listen to me. If you're fighting against flesh and blood more than you are spirits and, and in the spiritual realm, then you're, you're missing the boat, okay? You're missing it. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these four segments and divisions of demons. It's against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I'm hesitant because I went over this on Wednesday, but uh, I will go over it one more time. Now, here we have uh, 
the different divisions of the demonic forces that we're fighting. Uh, number one is rulers and principalities. Now, these rulers and principalities in Daniel 10 were told about them. Daniel was praying over a situation. And one day in his prayer closet, an angel shows up and says, Daniel, I was sent on the first day you started praying. But for 21 days, I have been held up by the prince of Persia. And we battled in the heavenlies. And it took me a while to get here. Now, that's one reason you need to keep praying, okay? Don't stop praying. He says, I was sent on my way the first day. But the prince of Persia, and that is no more than a ruler demon over the area we know today as Iran or Iraq, that demon fought him in the heavenlies. In fact, at the end of there, Daniel 10, where Daniel says, or the angel says to Daniel, I've got to go now. I've got to go back and engage the prince of Persia again. And in fact, he said, the prince of Greece is on his way. So there's a ruler demon of that area. So there are ruler demons, I believe the Bible teaches, over certain geographical locations. And these are the rulers and principalities. Um, there's ruler demons over countries, over cities. And this is redundant, but years ago I was praying because I was going through some major problems in my ministry. And some ladies hooked me up with these two prophets in Canada. And these two men, they had fasted and prayed for Bakersfield. And they wanted to talk to me. And they, they told me whether they were right or wrong, I don't know. But they said, in our prayer and fasting time, we saw there are some very extremely powerful ruler demons over Bakersfield. And your ministry has become a threat to them. And so they're causing some of this stuff you're going through right now. And I said, what? I said, why would we be a threat to anybody? I said, we're so simple, we, we would not threaten anybody. They said, that's the reason you threaten them. You're too simple. You just bring it right out of the words. You lay it out there. You're too simple. And that threatens them. I just came, I just came back from Vegas last weekend. Now, there are some of the, the most powerful ruler demons over that city probably than anywhere. You know how many people have ruined their lives in Las Vegas and ruined their lives in gambling and prostitution and strip clubs? Horrible. Well, back to Bakersfield. Have you been seeing what's happening in Bakersfield? We become, we're becoming a very violent, violent city. People are being shot out of Mesa Marin. They're being shot over here in the east side. They're being shot. They're being killed. Someone said it might be gang initiations. I don't know. But all kinds of stuff is going on. And so, uh, as a result of that, you know how much the demons hate this church? Because we're right down smack dab in the middle of it, aren't we? We're right down here where we want to be. We want to love these people and care about them no matter who they are or what they're doing. Next is the powers, the powers. Now, these are the demons that we engage the most with. And these are the ones that produce strongholds, bondages. See, some of you guys, you got into porn right now. Your problem isn't just with porn. It's with the power demons. They have now got a stronghold on you. They, still, they, they might have you under bondage now. There are some things you get into that the only way you're going to be freed is by the prayer, coming up the prayer team getting prayed for with after the service. That's going to release you. And so these, these demons can even possess bodies. If you're interested in something called the gap theory, write down the name Chuck Misler. Chuck Misler. 
He does something on the gap theory that's very interesting. And of course, he divides the demons into two segments. And if you look at this verse in Ephesians 6 and 12, it does too divide into two segments. Colossians does too. There are ruler demons up in the heavenlies and there are earthly demons. He says the earthly demons were, were in pre-Adamic men before Adam and Eve. And they used to have bodies and they want bodies again. So these demons are causing a lot of problems. For example, uh, in, in the scripture, we're told about a lady that walked bent over for 18 years and the problem was sheerly spiritual. A demon had caused that problem. Now, the church doesn't think that way today, but, but the, it, she was, it was a, a demonic spirit that caused the problem. I don't think that happens very often, but I think it does happen. Dave Burkle with Son of Sam, uh, he had voices telling him to kill. In fact, I don't know if he's still alive yet or not. I need to Google that, but I know he gave his life to the Lord a few years ago, and he, he was a really born-again Christian. But the Son of Sam, and where he got that name was, is he had a neighbor named Sam Carr, and he felt Sam Carr was instructing him to do these crimes, and he was doing it through a possessed dog, Labrador Retriever. And anyway, that's where he got his name, Son of Sam. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I want you to know we're engaged with some forces that we don't uh, always recognize. And so you have to battle in the spirit. I've said it before many times. I'll say it again. If we were allowed to go to a mental institution today, there's a certain percentage of those people that we could bring out in their right minds just by praying and taking authority over the spirits that have made them sick. So these spirits, these powers now are having a heyday because of the ignorance of the believers. Next, we have the world forces of darkness. This is a whole different set of angels or demons, I should say. And, and they're engaging in the movie industry, even cartoons. Have you seen how dark they're getting? How about video games? Oh, my goodness. Have you watched 2020 or Dateline recently? I mean, the violence, the murder, sex is going to a whole different degree. And I think these are the world forces of darkness. Then last, there's the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. These are, are spirits that really, they, 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 they focus in on, on high places, like major big religious figures sometimes that aren't Christians. They're there. I think this could also refer to the, some of the government, people in government and politics and high places. Read Ephesians 2 and 2, first of all, in the NIV. It says, in which you used to live when you, were, when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now it says, this, this ruler of the kingdom of the air, this awful spirit, is now at work in those who are disobedient. Look at the same verse in the Message Bible. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Now, listen to me. Some of you that are paying $60 an hour for counselors or 100 that aren't believers, this is for you. They tell you how to live. They know to know the first thing about living. You, you, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then ex exhaled disobedience. And then look at this same verse in Amplified in which you once walked. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by his, this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. Who's the disobedient? The unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. Now, I'm telling you, 
we're fighting these spirits. That's why we can't always believe what we hear out there. We never know what to believe. Because these spirits who are adamantly opposed to believers and to Christ are helping a lot of people in high places make their decisions. And so that's why we're leery of everything going, I'm not sure I'm going to do that or not. It makes me so mad to see Christians that just go with the flow. Whatever the majority says, that's what we do. I want to tell you, the majority's on their way to hell. They're not going to live with God. We're God's kids. You've got to take it a level higher. You've got to pray over things. Don't just go with it. Pray and bring them to God. Now, I've got about four minutes, and I've got a whole lot I want to tell you yet. So let's go just uh, the five minutes longer if we can. And then we'll, when the clock says quit, we'll, we'll just quit. Look at verse 13, 14. Let me make a statement about each of these. I didn't do that on Wednesday night. Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. Some of you aren't resisting. Paul said, I fought the good fight. You got to resist sometimes. My wife once told me, it was a defining moment for me. She said, you never tell yourself no. You got to stand and fight the devil, Ron. And have it done everything to stand firm. Now, here's how you do it. Here's the armor right here. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I'm going to be real quick, so stay with me. Now, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to fight with righteousness, with righteousness. Well, let's go to truth first. Let's go to truth first. Truth came first. Uh, you're going to win over the enemy when you hold the truth. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, you heard me tell you there's a difference between facts and truth. Facts are not always true. For example, let's say you have a headache today, or let's say you had a headache last month would be better. You had a headache last month, and you took ibuprofen, you took Tylenol, it didn't help the headache. Now, it's a fact you had a headache, but later on you learn you have a brain tumor. They take the brain tumor out, and your head stops hurting. So it was a fact you had a headache, but the truth was a brain tumor was causing the headache. Now, there's a difference between facts and truth. Facts are not always truth. For example, truth goes beyond facts. It's a fact today that the world is in the worst mess that we ever dreamed it could be in. But the truth is, Jesus is coming back, and this has to happen. It has to happen. That's the truth. It might be a fact that you have cancer, diabetes, or heart uh, disease. But the truth is, God is bigger than these diseases, and He will guide you through it if you'll let Him. Uh, it's a fact that your marriage might be in a mess, but the truth is, God has solutions that are bigger than your messed up marriage. And if you come to Him, He'll help you. You're a, never a victim, but you're a child of God. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. God will give you weapons to get through that physical illness. He'll speak to you. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. Now, let's, let's make a statement about another weapon. Righteousness is a weapon. How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. See, you are righteous in God by nothing other than your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't do anything to obtain righteousness. Not a thing. It's a gift, free gift from God. A lot of you, you don't get this. You say, well, you know, I was going to ask God for a favor, but last week I wasn't really good, so I'm going to wait another week and I'll earn his favor a little more. 
Hey, you're never good. Doesn't matter what time of the week or month you look at. We're never good. Our best righteousness is as filthy rags to God. You are righteous by your faith in God. How is that a weapon? When you know that you're righteous, regardless of, your, of, of what you're doing, your behavior, you might be a grumpy righteous person. You might be a griping righteous person. You might be a righteous person who, who's watching too much TV, whatever. When you know that you're righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with works. And you know that you can go into his throne room 24-7, any time, day or night, and get grace for the time of need. When you know that, you're a danger to Satan. You're a danger. That is a weapon to know that I don't have to prove myself good before I can go get favor from God. Uh, next is faith. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, notice here, it says the devil's shooting flaming arrows at us. What does a flaming arrow depict? It's something that's quick, it's fast, and it comes out of nowhere. And the devil's doing that to you all the time. Now, why is he shooting these flaming arrows? He wants to destroy your shield of faith. He wants to destroy your faith. In those days, shields were made out of wood. They were covered with material and, and leather. And because these soldiers knew when they went out to the battlefield that the enemy would be shooting flaming arrows, we're told they would soak their shields in water, get them soaked. Now in the Bible, water represents the Word of God. And so here's the deal. The devil wants to destroy your faith. If he can destroy your faith, number one, he'll stop you from doing the things you need to do to get the victories. If he destroys your faith, he'll destroy your God stories. And so right now, he's trying his hardest to get you to stop believing that God's going to heal you. He wants you to stop believing that God's going to save your kids. He wants you to stop believing that God's going to save your marriage. He wants you to stop praying. He's trying to destroy your faith so he can destroy you. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. You say, what do I do, Ron? Every day you go back and review the promises of God. Every day you go back and you start quoting the word. Remember, they dip those shields into water to protect them from being destroyed. That's your faith. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. I got a lot more to go, but I'm not going overtime. I had all the other weapons to do, but I'll come back and do them. All right, can we stop there today? Okay. Father God, we thank you that you're teaching us here. And Lord, right now, I need the people to know that I'm having a burning desire to go back and start taking them through books and tearing verse by verse apart, verse by verse by verse. I believe the people of God need to come back to the Word of God. And so, Lord, you're talking to the staff how we're going to do that right now. And we'll have other services where there's just sermons that are topical, but we got to have a place where we just tear the Word of God apart, verse by verse. So thank you today that, Lord, you showed me years ago that the devil cannot defeat you. And I'm going to close with this illustration. Years ago, I had a dream. And that dream, I can still remember in detail today. That was I was walking down a road, and over the side was a big building, and it said, the devil's house. 
And there were demons outside, and they were saying, come in, come in, come in, come in. They were trying to lure me in. And I said, no way. I'm God's kid. I will not go in there. And then I heard a voice, and he said, go in there. I'm with you. And he said it three times, go in there. I'm with you. I went in the house of demons, or the house of the devil. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember walking around on this raised sidewalk all through this building, and there were demons everywhere clawing at me, trying to get me, and they would just fall away. They couldn't touch me, couldn't touch me, couldn't touch me. I walked back out the building, and this voice echoed again and said, I just wanted you to know that wherever I call you and whatever I call you to do, the enemy cannot touch you. You are 100% safe. And that was during the time we were even ministered at the porn convention over in Vegas. And God said, as long as I'm with you, you're safe. Nothing can touch you. And so I don't say to scare you today that, that we're in a demonic war. I'm just saying it so you'll stay on your toes, quote the Word of God, pray, and you will come through with flying colors. You'll be stronger than ever. But they are after you, and, and uh, you're going to be in a war, but have fun with the war, okay? Stay in Christ, and nothing can harm you. Father God, thank you for this word today. Go with us. Bless us. Give us a great day. If you're here and you've never given your life to God, you can do it in your bathroom. You can come up here and just say, I want to give my life to God. And they'll pray with you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and live in your body so we can give you the strength to serve God. And so we love you. Have a great one. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King. Here is our